Let's take our word that we hold with in our hands and let's turn it to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll deal with just a brief portion of scripture this evening. We are making our way through this study of the pastoral epistles and I hope that you're enjoying it as much as I am. Sometimes I think that can hardly be the case. David talking about this morning, if any of you went to the woodshed this morning, just understand that I spent the week hanging out in the woodshed, so uh, and longer than that, actually, as I prepared. And uh, it's never fun to have your wife not there when you teach. My wife is is a real learner. She's a follower of Christ at the highest level. And uh, so what that means is if she's not there for the time of uh, corporate teaching and corporate learning together, she wants to know every detail. So it's not as if I just can unleash it once and then kind of sit back and let the pain of it kind of ease, I have to turn around and over lunch, I have to rehash all of those truths that we saw this morning. And really when we come to this portion of 2 Timothy, it's almost like a balm to us. It's soothing, it's Paul's comfort, it's his charge, it is in some senses daunting as we look at the enduring ministry of young Timothy. And yet no doubt this portion of scripture comes as refreshment because it's heavy laden with promises of the of the power of the truth. Paul here consistently brings Timothy back to the gospel power that he has within him. That he has been granted by the Spirit of God through the revelation of the Word, through the revelation of the living Word, Jesus Christ. Timothy has no need for fear. He has no need for timidity. He can be bold. He can be courageous. And he must be. Because the gospel is at stake and the souls of people are at stake. And so we find ourselves here in this later section of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you're new with us, let me just rehash a little bit of where we are in the context. Paul started out this chapter dealing with awesome illustrations for his readers and for us, for Timothy and indirectly then for us and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, illustrations of what it was to be a faithful, enduring minister in the face of suffering. And so he used those word pictures of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. He took us from those word pictures then in the second portion, beginning in verse 8 and carrying through verse 13, from the word pictures or the illustrations of enduring ministry to the meditation of the enduring minister. What is it that The heart and mind is to be focused on what is the reality and the truth of the word of God that is to consume the life of the minister of the gospel. And we find that in the meditation of enduring ministry in verses 8 through 13. And that brought us last Sunday evening to verse 14 and carries us really through the end of this chapter as we see then finally an action list for enduring ministry. So if Paul painted the picture of what the enduring minister looked like, then called upon Timothy to think appropriately and to believe appropriately for enduring ministry that will stand the test of time because it stands firmly based in the truth of the word of God, the apostolic word. He now concludes the chapter with a very careful description of specific activities that ought to pattern the life of the enduring minister. If we are to be faithful If our ministry is to be faithful, it will be faithful because we have set our course based upon the priorities outlined for us here in the Word of God. We are right in the middle of this letter 
It's not long. And chapter 2 kind of marks the turning point in the letter. We've seen already the call in the earlier portions for shameless standing for the gospel. Now we see endurance in service for the gospel. And next we'll see in chapter 3 a correction of apostasy. And really, we're, we're getting a, a glimpse of what is to come this evening in our study of verses 16 through 19. This evening, we will look at the third action step for enduring gospel ministry. The third one. We've already seen the first two in verses 14 and 15. And if you weren't with us, let me refresh what we did study. We saw in verse 14, the enduring minister must warn about words. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, verse 14 says, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. And secondly then, the second action step, the second imperative The enduring minister must work with the word. So he must warn about the words that are being used in speech, and in particular in relation to the false teachers at Ephesus. But secondly, the enduring minister is marked out by his work with the word. That is a capital W, the word of God. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because he rightly handles the word of truth. Those are the first two action steps for enduring ministry. And we come then this evening to the third action step in these next three verses. The enduring minister must shun false teaching. The enduring minister must shun false teaching. The idea of shunning or avoiding is one that at this point in our society, is really related mostly to groups like the Amish communities, right? I don't know if shunning is a popular concept or one that the majority of our culture would understand, but in those contexts, shunning or avoiding or putting out is the idea of punishment by removing any opportunity for fellowship, removing any interaction, even removing to the point of taking away a family relationship uh, in the context of the one who is being set outside. Here we find Paul's warning or Paul's imperative to Timothy, this third action list for enduring ministry, is a shunning. It is an avoiding. It is a veering around something for the sake of faithfulness. And it is an uncomfortable reality that we meet this evening. What we find here is not popular. What we find here will not earn you the applause of the general culture. What we find here will not be fun to partake in. This is not an exciting, cutting-edge ministry that you want to sign up for. We're not going to have sign-up lists in the back to avoid irreverent babble. To set aside false teachers, to deal with them harshly, which is exactly what Paul calls for. And yet this is necessary. It is extremely important for us to understand this action step is necessary for the purity of the word and for the endurance of ministry. And we could go throughout our New Testaments looking at how seriously God takes the foundation of his word. And how seriously he deals with those who tempt it or who reject it or who stand in opposition to it. We could go back and see the pictures of God's holiness in the Old Testament where God said, 
I want this to happen. And an individual decided that though the holy God of heaven had made a clear statement of what he desired, they were going to do the opposite. And God took the opportunity to put himself on display and the value of his word and his will on display, and he struck them down. These are hard passages for us to read. You'll remember the individual who touched the ark. They were clearly commanded, because God is holy, do not profane the ark by touching it. It was about to fall. The oxen were pulling it. They hit a rut. Something was happening. The ark was about to fall. And in the goodwill of his own wisdom, one stuck his hand out to stop the ark. You remember that account? And immediately he died. That is how seriously God takes his word. That is how seriously he deals with those who oppose it. And so Paul here, with that same theme in mind, reminds Timothy that it is critical if he is to have an enduring, lasting, faithful ministry for him to deal with shunning or avoiding those who stand opposed to the truth. Let's read these verses, and then we'll jump into our study of them. Verse 16 begins, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Here is what we find in verses 16 through 19. The enduring minister must shun false teaching. Verse 16 begins, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. The content of this false teaching is called irreverent babble. This is an interesting concept. The idea of irreverent babble is translated so many different ways that it gives a little insight into how broad the terminology that Paul uses is in this context. The ESV says irreverent babble. Many of you might have the New American Standard translation. It says, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. Maybe you have the old King James, but shun profane and vain babblings. The new King James, but shun profane and idle babblings. And the NIV, lastly, says avoid godless chatter. The idea here that Paul is stressing is that the the content of these false teachers, the content of those that we've seen from 1 Timothy on, those who have given themselves to myths, to genealogies, to secret knowledge, It is empty speech that has no sacred value whatsoever. It is completely atheistic church talk. Their discussion of quote-unquote truth is devoid of truth. It is empty. It's vanity. It will end with nothing but destruction. The description of these individuals is so familiar to us. We've read it so many times, but I'll read them again for you. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and they are worthless. Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 Timothy, back several pages in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see the description of these same people. O Timothy in verse 20, 
Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. This is the description of sanctified ministry snobbery. There is, an, there is a place for shunning within the church, and it is to be centered on those who would twist and turn the word from its truth to error. Timothy is to stand aloof from such mockery of the calling for truth teaching. Avoid it. Don't discuss it. Shun it. Don't develop a safe haven for its existence. The content is irreverent babble. It is useless jabber. And it will go nowhere. In fact, it will lead to destruction. And that's what we'll find described in the next section of this same verse. We see the content is this irreverent babble, this vain and idle chatter, this godlessness, and then we see the consequence of such vanity. Verse 16 goes on, For it, here's the explanation, here's the result of what will happen. For it, that is the irreverent babble, will lead people more and more into ungodliness. They will progress onward in their ungodliness. As a shepherd of God's flock, Timothy must see the folly of false teaching, both for its consequences and in relation to its results. The content is irreverent babble. The consequence or the result is that it leads people more and more into ungodliness. And let me tell you, what we find here is an argument that is not one that you should be using with people. It's not a good argument tactic, but when the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives it to us, we certainly should buy into its validity. It's called the slippery slope. You've heard this before. If you've grown up in a Christian home, or in a moral home for that matter, you have heard the slippery slope argument. If you start down one path, it will inevitably lead to something else, which will lead to something else, and before you know it, mass murder will be going on, okay? It's a slippery slope argument. Many of us, young people, us young people, have been offended by those kind of arguments. Listen, if you start wearing those baggy clothes, I'm going to tell you where you're going to end up. I'll tell you. As if the baggy clothes had anything to do with wherever it is that you think we're going to end up. The slippery slope, and yet what we have here is a divinely inspired slippery slope argument. If the leadership of the church does not avoid the irreverent babble, if it does not shun the false teaching, then God's people will be led down a progressive path of ungodliness. It will end up with more and more and more ungodliness. That is a natural result that is revealed to us on the pages of the perfect word of God. False teaching will lead to the recipient's deeper sin and defilement, period. So in other words, folks, to say that it would be okay to deal with false teaching in a discussion format. I mean, let's, let's not get too radical here. Let's not get too harsh. They're not that far off. Let's just discuss it. Let's start a conversation about it. Let's interact with each other. The idea that that somehow will produce a better opportunity for correction stands as human wisdom versus the divine wisdom of what we find in the Word, which is avoid it. If it's in the road, swerve around it. Don't go over it. Don't go through it. Don't go under it. Get away. 
Avoid and shun such irreverent, godless chatter. False teaching is to be dealt with with the most severe forms of shunning. Why? Well, it's simple. It leads more and more into ungodliness. And then we find this powerful illustration at the first part of verse 17, concluding this idea that it will progress onward and their talk will spread like gangrene. This is an amazing thing. In fact, much to my detriment, I looked up gangrene on the Internet. Okay? There are good things you can do on the Internet. You can check your, your email. You can read the news. You can find out all of the latest information. on anything. And there are things that you should never do on the Internet. One of them is search gangrene. You should not look up gangrene because the pictures I saw, you do not want to see. All right? I'm telling you. Did you know that there is dry gangrene, which is nasty looking, but there's wet gangrene, and you don't even want to think about what wet gangrene is, and yet you are right now. Wet gangrene is terrible stuff. Gangrene is a disease that that erodes the body. It attacks the body. In fact, here's a description of what Paul uses as a word picture here. Gangrene is a complication of necrosis, cell death characterized by the decay of body tissues, which become black and melodious. I don't even know what that word means. It is caught, but it's nasty because I saw it. It is really nasty. All right. It is caused by infection or ischemia, such as from thrombosis, blocked blood vessels. It is usually the result of critically insufficient blood supply which is also known as peripheral vascular disease, and is often associated with diabetes and long-term smoking. This condition is most common in the lower extremities. The best treatment for gangrene is revascularization, and I do know what that word means, and it's critical, I think, to this word picture that Paul uses. The best treatment is the restoration of blood flow of the affected organ which can reverse the effects of necrosis and allow healing to come. Gangrene attacks and destroys the cells of a portion of the body where blood flow has been cut off, and the results are grotesque. It's called gangrene, and I think the green has something to do with it, even though it's not spelled right. right? It is unbelievably nasty, and if it is unchecked, it will kill you. It will spread through your body, and it will infect you at every level. Paul here describes the, the spreading of the false teaching and the more and more ungodliness with gangrene. And this is interesting because Paul loved the image of the body for the church. He loved the picture of the body for the local assembly. The body has different parts. It has hands and eyes and feet, and it has all these different components, and they're all gifted by the Holy Spirit for the body's growth and development and he loved to use these pictures and he uses false teaching here as a disease that will attack the body and it will erode and corrupt and destroy the very development and growth of the body of Christ. Gangrene is a great word picture used by Paul to describe the spreading of their talk. The disease of false doctrine will not only lead the the infection further, or the infected rather, further from Christ's righteousness, but it is also highly contagious. It will move through the body of Christ like a cancer tearing apart its own members. Must be given 
fresh blood of the truth. It must be restored to its health. Reverse the damage that has been done. Paul says here, avoid false teaching. Avoid irreverent babble. Why? Because of the results, the consequences. It leads people away from God and away from godliness. And because it spreads through the body like gangrene. So we have the content. Godless, empty, vain chatter, which he has described over and over again in these letters. We have the consequence. It will destroy God's people. Therefore, we take it very seriously. It's not something to be toyed with. It's not something to mess around with. It's not something to discuss. It's to be avoided. And thirdly, then, we find that this false teaching that must be shunned for the sake of enduring ministry, we find the illustration of the convicted. Here are some individuals that Paul holds up before Timothy and describes the very result the very illustration in a human sense of those who have already gone down this path and are leading others down this path. Notice in verse 17. Among them, that is those who are led astray into more and more ungodliness, among them whose talk spread like gangrene are Hymenaeus and Philetus. These men have swerved from the truth, verse 18 says, saying that the resurrection has already happened. And they are upsetting the faith of some. First Timothy chapter 1 was the first time that we found names given to us. And we found out that the same name was used in verse 19. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now we don't know anything about these individuals other than the fact that Paul had turned them over to their true father, Satan himself, for the destruction of their flesh. Alexander is not mentioned again in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Instead, now we have an individual by the name of Philetus. Hymenaeus was still pressing on in his destructive false teaching. He had not turned in repentance and in faith, nor had he departed from the church. His influence was very real. And Philetus steps in for Alexander, takes up the banner, and stands as one who has swerved from the truth. You know what's difficult about this section? It's hard enough that in theory Paul says you need to avoid those who are teaching false doctrine. It's hard enough to even think theoretically that that's what we're supposed to do as guardians of the truth, as the pillar and ground of the truth, as the church, as ministers of the church, as the flock and the body of the church. But it gets more and more difficult when Paul turns that corner from theory to personal. He turns that corner and says, no, this is about people. This is about individuals that must be dealt with. They must be avoided. They must be set outside the fellowship of the church because their effect is only destruction on the body. Brothers and sisters, this is the action list for enduring faithful ministry. And that is what we've signed up for, is it not? This is what we desire. This is what we desire for the testimony of Grace Church of the Valley. That it would be an enduring and faithful ministry of the word, of the truth, of the gospel. Therefore, we cannot just think theoretically about avoiding irreverent babble, avoiding false teaching. We must avoid it in a personal sense. We must 
be discerning enough to know those who are leading others astray, and we must stand opposed to them. Hymenaeus and Philetus, their error was that they were teaching that the resurrection was already complete. If you want to read about that, 1 Corinthians 15 explains that error to you. And Paul deals with that error in the most uh, pointed way. His arguments are airtight. If what they're saying is true, he goes down the path of there is no faith, there is no eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15 is an argument directly related to this error that Hymenaeus and Philetus were promoting, that the resurrection was complete. It was over. It was done. And it was upsetting the faith. The damage that they had done was that they were upsetting the faith of some. This is a great word picture that Paul uses. I love it when he picks a word that that just explodes with meaning. And this one does. Upsetting the faith does not do justice to this word. This is the idea of doing a float trip down the King's River. And you slip off of your raft with the sole intent of malice for another. You want to see that person in the icy cold water. You slip off. You might float along hoping that they don't notice that you're not on your raft because your goal is to get underneath of their raft and to dump them into the icy cold water to hear them scream, to hear them be angry with you, and to laugh and enjoy every minute of that destruction. For me, it is my wife's um, constant desire to not actually jump into the pool but to somehow walk like by inch into the pool. And so if, if we move it up three inches instead of one inch, we've completely wrecked the system. And my desire in a sinful humanity is always to tackle her and throw her into the water. I want to upset her. I want to overturn her. I want to dump it out. That's the picture. It's a ship. It's in the sea. The waves are crashing, and the ship is upset. That means it is flipped over, capsized, and dumped out, overturned. Don't tell her that that's my desire, by the way. Right? That's my secret. I deal with my flesh, I fight it. She doesn't need to know about that. That is the very work that these false teachers were doing in the church at Ephesus, and it is the gangrene poison that Paul is wanting Timothy to confront and to avoid. They were upsetting the faith. This is unbelievable. They were so destructive that they were flipping the faith of some on its head. Their confidence in Christ was overturned. Their destructive teaching was smashing into the faith of some, and it was completely turning them over. They were walking away from what they knew to be true. So we see the content of this false teaching that must be shunned. We see the consequences of it. It spreads. It's a slippery slope. It gets more and more ungodly, and it's like a gangrene disease that cannot be stopped unless there is a a cutting off of the issue at hand. And we've seen the convicted, good old Hymenaeus and Philetus, are our living examples that this is about individuals who must be dealt with in a very strategic and harsh way. Now, understand, we talked this morning about the other passages. I'm aware as well of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. Those who have been deceived into some false teaching, those who are promoting some false teaching, must be shunned, they must be set aside, they must not be given a voice, but they must also be dealt with in such a desire as to restore them to what they have once professed. So to say harsh is not to talk so much about the speech that is used or the desire of the heart that drives us when we must avoid 
irreverent babble. But it is the harsh reality of turning to someone and saying, we can no longer fellowship with you because you are leading people astray from the truth. And that is not an easy task. It must be done with graciousness. All of our words must be seasoned with grace. Our motive must be love from a pure conscience with a goal towards restoration of that one who is erred. And yet all the while, we must be cautious that we are not tainted by the very error which we are avoiding. Finally then, in verse 19, we find the cure. We find the cure to this false teaching that must be avoided. Here is the, here is the antidote that will set it aside. Here is the cure. Here is the, the medicine that is needed. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation, in contrast to the error of what Hymenaeus and Philetus are promoting, in contrast to the gangrene, and destructive ungodliness of false teaching, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is speaking of the church, and the church's foundation is in fact sure, and it is marked by the seal of God himself. And notice the two realities of salvation that are established as the firm foundation of God. There is, on the one hand, God's perspective when it comes to the salvation of sinful humanity, that God, in fact, knows those who are His. This is sovereign election, and it is a pillar, it is a foundation for us in the face of false teaching. God knows those who are his. John 10 verses 27 and 28 tell us that the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep hear his voice and they know him. John chapter 6 and verses 37 through 40. All who are given to the son will be brought to the completion of their salvation. They will none will be lost. Ephesians 1 verse 4, Romans 8 verses 28 through 30 which we've looked at recently. All of these passages remind us of this first key component of the foundation that will not move. The Lord knows those who are His. Sovereign election is a pillar of truth. It is God's perspective in salvation of man. And yet we find secondly, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. While sovereign election stands as a stone in the foundation, the sanctification of believers also stands as a stone in the foundation. If we need a bedrock, what is truth? God knows those whom he is saving. And those whom he is saving have given their lives and he is at work in their lives to sanctify them, to grow them, to develop them, to be more conformed to his character, to be more conformed to the image of his son. This is, this is the contrast. This is the vaccine for false teaching the foundation that God saves those whom he knows and those whom he saves and who name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul says, you must shun, you must avoid irreverent babble, Timothy. Yes, you need to warn the people about their use of words. Yes, you need to be careful as a worker with the word. But thirdly, you need to set yourself to avoid those who distort the word and establish yourself on this foundation. God knows those who are His. He is at work saving sinners in His sovereign plan. 
and everyone who names the name of the Lord must depart from iniquity. Those who are truly his will be on a course of sanctification and growth and development by his grace. Believer, this evening, let me remind you of the truth of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I would guess that the vast majority of you this evening profess faith in Christ. You profess to be followers of Christ. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Though you see error, though you discern the issues in the church, though you even see areas of your own life that are weak, that are struggling in your battle with sin, let me encourage you that the promise of continued growth is until the end as you set yourself to depart from iniquity. Pastors must be the false teaching shunners that set a standard and an an example of those who discern truth from error and then avoid that error at any cost for the sake of the purity of the church. And the body of Christ as a whole will only enjoy enduring ministry as it is led by enduring ministers who shun false teaching in every form and thus promote the truth to the development of the body of Christ. This is that third action step in the list that Paul is giving to young Timothy. He's addressed the word pictures to help him see what he's looking for. He's addressed the meditation, and now he's giving him these imperatives. Remind them, do your best, and in verse 16, avoid. Avoid irreverent babble. That's our desire here at Grace Church. It's our desire not to be on some sanctified witch hunt for those who have irreverent babble, but it is also our desire to see those who are twisting the word of God who would upset the faith of some who will lead to more and more ungodliness and who will spread like gangrene to be avoided, to be set outside of the fellowship of the church. This is a harsh reality. It's an unpopular one, and yet it is critical for us if we are to enjoy an enduring ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I trust this week, even as you go through your daily lives, as you listen to whatever you listen to on the radio, if it claims to be Christian, as you watch what claims to be Christian television, that you will avoid irreverent babble, that you will not laugh at it, that you will not partake in it, that you will not sit and think through it, but that you will discern that this is apart from the truth of God's word, therefore I must avoid this. And I trust that you'll pray for your shepherds, young shepherds, that they will be faithful to avoid irreverent babble for the sake of the word.